0: Horton and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org/underwriting to find out how.
1: Good morning. It's 8 30 on Monday, February 4th. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear what one legislator thinks about a house plan to keep retired teachers in the classroom while they still draw their pensions.
2: And I think that's a great idea of what they're trying to do if the money is available and it doesn't affect other employees.
1: And we'll take the question straight to the public employees' retirement system. Then, after everyday tech, find out why so many students in Jackson are falling behind on their student loans. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. bill that would allow retired teachers to collect their pensions and return to the classroom could pose a problem for Mississippi's Public Employee Retirement System, or PERS. That's a concern of House Democrat Gregory Holloway of Hazelhurst. Holloway says employer contributions are already being increased to shore up the retirement fund. He explains to our Desiree Frazier.
2: I think that uh, for them to be able to retire, come back, and, and, and make the kind of Money that they're talking about on um, based on the certification AAA, AAA, and, and uh, 4A, any of it depends on uh, those factors, and you have to pay them at a certain uh, rate, uh, then uh, PERS could be uh, adversely affected by that. And I think that that's one of the things that we'll be looking at, or you'll see uh, one of the things that will come up in this conversation is how it's going to impact. PERS because PERS uh, is already not uh, 100% uh, funded as it should be, and the legislature every year has to um, allocate funds to keep PERS solvent.
3: And so there's a bill that would bring back retired teachers, let them continue to um, collect the retirement, because right now they can't teach and draw the retirement, but they would be able to do that. So you're saying that might impact the um fund
2: that would certainly impact uh PERS because if they could come back and and work receive full retirement it, it's going to impact PERS. uh no no if and and bust about it it's just something that the legislature would have to make sure that they take a real we take a real good close look at and make sure that it's not going to impact PERS in a negative way
3: so if someone a teacher has retired and they're allowed to draw and then they come back when they come back, would a new retirement start that would increase their existing retirement? So when they do leave the district, they would receive even more funds.
2: Well, those are that's a good, great question, and those are the um, questions that we'll have to be uh, faced with. Uh, how would they? What would be the parameters? How would they work it out where they could receive full retirement, come back, and work at a, a level? that would pay them a substantial amount of money. Uh, and I'm all in favor of uh, teachers coming back with experience and putting uh, discipline back in the classroom and all that, but we just have to make sure that other state employees are not negatively, adversely affected by you know this group of uh, individuals coming back, which is very important to our state.
1: Democratic Representative Gregory Holloway. Ray Higgins is Executive Director of the Public Employees Retirement System, or PERS. He talks with our Desiree Frazier about the challenges of the bill.
4: PERS, you know, we certainly support education. We support efforts to address challenges. But we must perform our due diligence, and that's what we're doing now. We're currently reviewing the bill with state leadership, actuaries, and outside tax counsel just to ensure that the administration of the system remains sound.
3: Would the employees who are eligible to collect their pension and work, would they pay into the system again?
4: Well, it depends on how any legislation is defined, but on that topic, that's certainly why we want to review the bill and work with our actuaries to ensure whatever final draft version that we make sure and and evaluate the actuarial impact to the system.
3: Because I guess you would need that money if they're working. You would need them to pay back into the system um, so that 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 would make sure that it's sound.
4: That's generally the case, Um, and I think now oftentimes in the case when a retiree returns to work, employer contributions do continue to come into the system based on the position they're occupied. But in the the context of potential legislation, it would just depend on what any final version uh, uh, was that passed.
3: And let me ask you this. Hypothetically, okay, they come back to work, they collect their pension, they're paying into the system. When they leave for good, they've accrued more pension monies.
4: Well, there again, it does depend on what type of legislation is passed. Now, my understanding is in current law, um, and a retiree, if they come back to work and they want to work full time, they can essentially come back to work full time, suspend their retirement, and accrue additional credible service. And then, once they retire again, you know those those additional years are counted. But it just depends based on what your question is. It would depend on what any final version of the legislation is passed on how it would unfold.
3: So as you said, we just have to wait and see what happens with the legislation. But you would want them to pay into the system if they did return to work, right?
4: Uh, You know, I hate to uh, defer on that question, but I really have to make sure and see the details behind the legislation. At this point, we're working not only with the leadership but the actuaries and also tax counsel. Aside from the funding aspects and the actuarial aspects, there are various federal laws and IRS requirements associated with the status of our trust fund. And we have to make sure that any potential changes, that it does not jeopardize the status of our trust fund. So that's something in the area that, although I'm not prepared to comment on now, but we must uh, evaluate that thoroughly.
3: Okay. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about this issue that's important to note?
4: Uh, The only thing I would say is, again, we certainly support education and we support the efforts to address challenges. We just have to make sure we look out and make sure we do what's in the best interest of the system.
1: House Bill 1349, the Mississippi Great Teachers Act, passed the House Education Committee last week and now will go to the full House for consideration. If you're interested in learning even more about the ongoing legislative session, stay tuned. Coming up after Mississippi edition, it's the first episode of our brand new program, At Issue on Think Radio. We're taking the news and analysis you've come to expect from At Issue on MPB TV, and we're adding even more discussion and and listener phone calls. So listen to At Issue on Think Radio coming up after our program. But first, find out why so many students in Jackson are falling behind on their student loans. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: The 2019 Mississippi Legislature is now in session and at issue on MPB Think Radio is bringing you even more coverage about the questions being discussed at the Capitol. Hosted by legislative reporter Desiree Frazier with analysis from Brandon Jones and Austin Barber, this call-in program will tackle the week's hot topics and the legislative business of the 2019 session. So tune in Monday mornings at 9 a.m. for at issue, heard only on MPB Think Radio.
3: For Moments in Black History, we salute Fannie Lou Hamer. The civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer is known for her words, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, during her testimony at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. But the Mississippi native would also lend her voice to many freedom songs during the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer was a true champion of the people, and we salute her leadership. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History.
1: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Catraire, and today we're discussing assistive and adaptive
0: technology.
6: So, Wilts, what is adaptive technology? Well,
0: Michelle, adaptive technology, it, it refers to special versions of already existing technology or different tools that we have out there that can provide enhancements or a different way for people to interact with that technology. Some of those examples may be more low tech, like a you know large print books or digitize text, even just improvements in lighting, things to make it a little bit easier for everyone. And it can even go so far as to be things such as predictive text that we've seen in some of our phones, as well as adjustable desks. For example, quite a few folks that I work with use the standing desk options now and keyboard modifications and things to make things more ergonomically accessible. Why is adaptive technology so important? Adaptive technology has really become important as we see technology growing within our society. This is particularly seen in its ability to promote a greater independence by anyone and everyone trying to use this. So maybe you're getting a little bit older and your eyesight's not quite what it used to be, or maybe you attended a few too many concerts as a young child and maybe your hearing has slipped out a little bit. Or it could even be something as simple as to allow a younger child to be able to interact with these different items. There's so many different ways that technology can be customized to you. It doesn't have to be just for the masses per se, but it can be more so it's a tool for you personally to use. So being able to adapt it to what you need versus what someone else might need is really what makes it go from being technology to being personal tech.
1: Is adaptive technology the same as assistive technology?
0: Well, we can see a little bit of blending of the two, um, depending on kind of your perspective over a particular technology or device. But generally speaking, assistive technology is more of a specialized device for something. One way we make a think of assistive technology would be things such as hearing aids, a technology that goes into that, or even wheelchairs or prosthetic devices, and things that are specifically developed to allow someone with that specific need to be able to interact a little bit more with the community around them. Um, But where you can also see the blending is we'll actually see text-enabled telephones and you'll see Braille devices that can actually take those emails or even websites and allow them to come back and be seen with someone that may be vision impaired. Um, We're also seeing a lot of devices that are being specifically developed to help children and adults with different disabilities, such as autism, Down syndrome, just to allow people to, again, engage with and be a part of everything going on around them and tend to what their specific needs are.
6: So, Wilts, what are some areas where adaptive and assistive technology can make the most impact? Well, we see this coming
0: in not just in the home, but we also see this within the workplace, as well as at school. So it really kind of runs the full range of locations that we could be at. And what we're seeing is this having the ability to help those of us with differing disabilities perform tasks with a much greater ease and much more independence and tears down so many of the barriers that would otherwise potentially stand in their way of being able to achieve what their goals are. And it's not just those with disabilities, but it could just be those with different abilities. So Michelle, throughout the years we've really seen where technology has really stepped in and stepped up to help enhance all of our lives and really improve independence for everyone. You know, if you if you really want to think back, think back to a past president we had, FDR. Many may also recall that he had polio, which would have made driving and some other daily tasks a little bit more difficult. Even back in the early 1900s, they were adapting the car to allow him to do a little bit more control when it came to hand controls. And so we're really seeing technology step in and make a difference. It's not just about checking your email and looking at your social media feeds. Today, technology can make such an impact on everyone around us, no matter their needs. And it can help us to obtain that independence we all desire, as well as reach our goals successfully. We will talk more about
1: assistive and adaptive technology on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilt's Cottrell, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
5: The 2019 Mississippi Legislature is now in session and at issue on MPB Think Radio is bringing you even more coverage about the questions being discussed at the Capitol. Hosted by legislative reporter Desiree Frazier with analysis from Brandon Jones and Austin Barber, this call-in program will tackle the week's hot topics and the legislative business of the 2019 session. So tune in Monday mornings at 9 a.m. for at issue, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or
0: Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Jackson has the highest student loan delinquency rate out of the 100 largest metropolitan areas in the country. That's according to a new report from the website Student Loan Hero. Kaylee McFadden is a senior research analyst with the site. She says more than a quarter of Jacksonians are behind on their student loan payments. McFadden talks with MPB's Jasmine Ellis about the report.
7: We looked at all the credit reports of people from the June to August period. Um, we looked at about 435,000 different people who um, had some kind of student loan on their report, and then from there, um, the credit report will tell you what the worst possible, um, uh, sorry, what their worst payment history is on each on each um, what they call the a, a trade line or a credit line that a person has. Um, it will actually tell you the worst uh, payment that in this person's credit history was. On time. They've never had a late payment on this credit card or this loan or this mortgage or this student loan um, or it'll say 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, et cetera, et cetera.
6: And what did you find out about Jackson, Mississippi specifically while you were doing um, doing your research?
7: We found out that, unfortunately, Jackson, Mississippi has the highest rate of student loan borrowers who have been delinquent, meaning they've been at least 90 days late on one of their student loans, and that was about 26%. That doesn't mean that they're currently in default. It doesn't mean that they're not uh, currently up to date, but at some point in the past, more than one in four student loan borrowers have gone at least 90 days without paying their student loan bill. So among the 100 largest metro areas in the country, which is actually where most Americans live, Jackson, Mississippi had the highest rate of delinquency. For contrast, at the end of our list was Provo, Utah, where fewer than 13% of the population has been 90 days late on a student loan bill. So do you
6: know exactly why Jackson was at the top of the list? Um, Do you have any more insight into that?
7: You know, it's hard to say. One thing I will say is that uh, we did another study where we looked at the uh, median current student loan debt that people were carrying, and uh, Jackson was pretty high on that list. So I think it came in, yeah, it came in eighth out of out of 100. So the average person who has student loans in Jackson, Mississippi, that they have you know, that they still have a debt for, that they still have a balance on. Uh, is $20,650, which was the eighth highest in the country. Now, the reason for that is is kind of hard to to nail down from what we do know exactly. But what we do know is that um, people who don't finish college uh, are more likely to default, uh, become delinquent and default on their student loans. And we know that the um, rate of people who have some college but no degree in Mississippi in general, and in Jackson specifically, is higher than the national average. So for the country, it's just under 21% of adults have had some college, but never completed a degree. And in Jackson, it's about 23%. Not only that, but the rate of people who have a bachelor's degree or higher is a little bit lower in, um, in, Mississippian in Jackson than it is elsewhere, so that's a little concerning. So I think it's 19% of Americans have a bachelor's degree, and in Jackson it's 18%. In Mississippi as a whole, it's it's just over 13%. So those are kind of skewed. You know, you'd you'd want to see if you see the same number of people who have actually completed college, you kind of want to see the same number of people who have attended college but not completed it. And we said that's, that's quite a bit off in Mississippi, in, in particular, in, in Jackson.
1: Kaylee McFadden from the website Student Loan Hero. Ann Hedrick is with Woodward Hines Education Foundation, a Mississippi-based education nonprofit. She talks with our Jasmine Ellis about why many students fall behind on college loans.
8: Uh, students go to college and they're not necessarily academically prepared. They start college, they have to take some remedial classes, they don't finish college, they end up with student debt, and they can't repay the student loan because they don't have a degree and they can't get an adequate job to repay the loan. Or they're not connecting college to the career. They're over borrowing, not thinking about what their anticipated job is going to be. So they can't repay the loan. So the amount of debt is important to think about, you know, what am I going to make? What is my starting salary going to be as a teacher in Mississippi? You know, how much can I borrow? How much can I afford to repay every month? Thinking about the right fit college, there are students that started a community college, which might be a better financial fit than starting at a university, or going to a nonprofit college or university where they're less likely to borrow a lot of money versus a for profit college. So, understanding the right college fit and understanding loan repayment, I think that's really important. It's confusing. If you're a 17 year old and you're borrowing and you have to go through student loan counseling and you hear about interest rates and capitalization of interest, those are all foreign terms. I mean, they were foreign terms to me for many years. And so, not understanding the loan process and what it means to borrow and repay, I think, is confusing. So we definitely need a little more education around um, student loans.
6: Are you coming across students who are um, talking to you about some of the struggles they have with paying back their loans?
8: We definitely talk to people who are struggling with understanding student loan repayment. In the federal loan system, there are different repayment plans, and so understanding that some loans you can change the amount that you have to pay per month based on your income, for example. Um, Understanding that some loans can be forgiven over a period of time, but it's complicated. So you need someone that really understands the student loan process. Uh, the, The folks that are the holders of the student loans are really a great place to start because they can explain the different loan repayment programs. But what happens is, is that somebody gets a bill in the mail for their student loan and they might get something from their water bill or their uh, electric bill. And they're gonna pay the water bill and the electric bill and they might push aside the student loan repayment and not make a payment and they get into delinquency very quickly with the student loan. But if you can pick up the phone and call the student loan lender, unlike maybe the electric company or the gas company or the water company, They have ways of helping students. They have forbearance programs and, as I said, loan forgiveness programs and ways to maybe just pay the interest and not pay the principal of a loan, paying a lower amount monthly if you pick up the phone and call. But what happens is is that people don't repay their loan and get into bigger trouble once they are delinquent. And that article was about delinquency, not about default. But once you're delinquent – it sets a lot of federal rules into motion. So you don't want to get behind on the student loan. and Get to College, we help students plan for college and pay for college. And so we do a lot of the education up front. We talk to students more about not overborrowing or not taking out the maximum loan because they don't need the maximum loan or not taking out a private loan on top of a, a student loan. So we try to head off those conversations. So there are rules in the law that can help students that have a short-term period where they can't repay, where they only have to pay a small amount of interest versus their whole student loan principal and interest payment. So helping students help themselves is what needs to happen. But if you've gone 90 days and you're already in delinquency, that means you haven't picked up the phone to contact the student loan lender.
6: Ann Hendrick is the director of Get to College from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's a brand new show at issue on Think Radio. Get your questions and comments about the legislative session ready and give them a call. Then at 10 o'clock, it's now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org, by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or by subscribing to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.